This is Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. I am Amber McCrary, host of Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. Our podcast focuses on Indigenous writers and their writing journeys. My guest today is Tanea Winder. Poet, writer, and educator, Tanea Winder is an enrolled member of the Duckwater Shoshone tribe and has ancestors from the Southern Ute, Pyramid Lake Paiute, Navajo, and Black tribes. She grew up on the Southern Ute Reservation in Ignacio, Colorado, and earned her BA at Stanford and an MFA from the University of New Mexico. Winder's collections of poetry include Words Like Love and Why Storms Are Named After People and Bullets Remain Nameless. Poetic Theater Productions performed a suite of Winder's poems as Love in a Time of Blood Quantum, and she won an Orlando Prize in the Poetry from the A Room of Her Own Foundation. And here's my interview with Tanea. Thank you for being a guest on Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. Could you tell us who you are and where you're from? Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast. I've been um, following your work for a while now, and it's just really exciting to see how far um, you've come. So um, my name's Tanea. I'm a citizen of the Duckwater Shoshone Nation. I'm also Pyramid Lake Paiute in Southern Ute, and I grew, I grew up on the Southern Ute Reservation in Ignacio, Colorado, and my heritage also includes Diné and African-American uh, lineages. And I am tuning in right now from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, nice. For some reason, I thought you were up in Colorado. <laughs> um, I was. I just moved back down here. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. How's the weather in Albuquerque? It's a lot warmer. We left Colorado right before their last snowmageddon. So um, it's nice down here. Definitely have more allergies down here, though, but it's good to be um, back home. I'm actually in um, my grandfather's home. Um, he had two homes moved out here from the south. Um, as soon as he turned 18, he left Louisiana and came to the southwest and he never left. And so I feel really um, just at home here. Wow. That's a that's a really interesting story. Um, so your grandpa was from Louisiana? Yeah, and that's my African-American grandpa. Um, so he moved out here. He did construction work, like helped construct a lot of the um, downtown Albuquerque buildings, I think the courthouse. Um, so yeah, he, he moved out here and met my grandma, who is a Diné in Southern Ute, and had my dad and his brother. Oh, okay. Wow, that's really interesting. Do you ever go back to like, uh, or do you ever, have you gone back to like Louisiana and met his like extended family? Yeah, once actually right before Katrina, um, my grandpa had had some health issues. And so he wanted to go home. And I was the only one who was able to like take time off to, to take him. So it was my first time actually getting to meet like the black side of my family. And it was just so nice and at home. And um, 
you know, just seeing like, oh, you look like this person or that person. Like it's almost just finding like that missing piece of, of yourself, you know, and just getting to hear like all these stories about him growing up and and seeing him around his family and relatives and just kind of getting to see where he grew up. And now we keep in touch on Facebook and things after he passed away. Um, and they do big winder family reunions. So I have yet to make it to one, but hopefully after the pandemic, I'll get out there. Wow. That's, that's such a amazing story. Um, just like learning where you're from, uh, especially like in the the South, you know, and that's like one place that I've always wanted to visit was Louisiana. So it's, it's really interesting. I, like that's something I never knew about you. <laughs> like if I was reading your bio. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, it's always interesting, you know, being indigenous and black, you know, I feel like, you know, the anti-black, like, mindset that a lot of indigenous people have and just my own cognitive dissonance growing up you know like driving from the res to Albuquerque to visit my grandpa when we were little and like visually seeing my grandpa's black but not putting it together like well that means Mm. I am also black you know and Mm -hmm. not visibly presenting in that way maybe aside from my like curly hair um and so it just you know it's an interesting life journey you know like Mm -hmm. wanting to make sure I acknowledge all the parts of me, all the nations I carry inside of me and just being aware of that too, you know, that being aware of my, my, my lighter skin privilege, I would say, or, mm-hmm. and then some people who are probably like, well, you're not light, you're, you're brown, but I guess it's all like relative and how we think of, think mm-hmm. of things. But, um, so I always try to like, just use that like lens when I meet like our indigenous relatives who, you know, have been adopted out or just trying to learn more about their heritage and where they come from. I feel like I can empathize with like the black part of me, like just, I've never like grown up in a black experience or around my like black side of my family and just still trying to respectfully learn more about who I am in my family as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever um, read any books by Honoré Jeffers? Oh, no. So Honoré, um, they write a lot about the South because, you know, they're the, from the South. And just the way that they talk about uh, the South is very similar to the way, like, Natives talk about, uh, like, our, you know, our land, like the land that, you know, we're from or grew up around. And there's this book called Red Clay Sweet. And it's, it's so similar to like, um, a lot of like, uh, native poets where she talks, she talks a lot about like the, the land kind of being clay and like red and like, you know, having this like rich history coming from the South and coming from this, like this, um, this clay and this land. And, you know, it, so I don't know the way you're ta- describing it just now reminded me of Honoré and like how they describe, uh, the South and like kind of their connection to the land. It's, it's a really great book. You should check it out. Awesome. I'll get up this. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. Okay. And so we're going to move on to our second question. <clears throat> how did you get into writing? Yeah, um, 
That's always such an interesting question because I feel like it's always been a part of me, you know, storytelling and you don't always realize, realize it. I've loved writing. I did some poetry competitions when I was in fourth grade. And then, you know, like how they always make you write. I feel like I have a memory in fifth grade of writing like limericks about leprechauns, but just feeling like writing had to be like certain forms or certain expectations. So not really feeling as comfortable owning that form. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and I had always like written, like tried to write little rewrite different songs, like for my teams on sports trips, like to try to just Mm -hmm. help pass the time on away games. But it was, I always just, you know, think back to my senior year of high school after my grandfather had passed away, a different grandfather, my, my Paiute grandfather. Um, And I was really close to him. Mm-hmm. He was like a really strong um, father figure as well. And he was my, like one of the people who really wanted me to go to Stanford. So losing him my senior year um, was just really traumatic and um, my first like significant loss. And I remember having, I had enough credits to graduate early. So I was just going to drop out of school and do my, I was a waitress at the casino at the time. And so I thought I'll just do this full time and not really realizing like that was a part of my grieving. And then a few um, weeks later, you know, I wanted to go back to school and they almost weren't going to let me go back. And I don't know why, you know, like, was Hmm. it institutional racism? Was it just, you know, I I just remember the principal saying like, there's no way she's going to get caught up. And I remember just thinking that didn't make sense because the, the salutatorian, I had a good GPA, And so, um, Hmm. yeah, the counselor advocated on my behalf and was like, okay, he said, if you can get one teacher to let you in their class this late in the semester, he'll let you come back. And the only teacher who would let me come back was my uh, poetry teacher, Mr. B, Mr. Bert Baldwin. And he was teaching a spoken word course. And that just really changed my life. You know, like I, I found that poetry could be healing. It was my therapy. It was my medicine. And I've, um, I've held on to that as one of my tools ever since. Wow. Yeah. That's really inspiring. Um, what casino, (laughs) sorry, what casino did you waitress at? The Sky Ute Lodge and casino before, before it's redone. Yeah. Before it's the older one that is now no longer there. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I ate there once with my family when I was like, 12 or something (laughs) I don't really know why we were like passing through I think maybe we were visiting family in like northern New Mexico and then my parents were like let's go eat at this casino we've been hearing about it and then I like didn't know what was going on but we ate there and I just remember that (laughs) maybe we passed cross paths I think I'm a few years older than you I could have been there (laughs) (gasps) maybe yeah it was yeah I always remember that (laughs) but yeah that's that's a really interesting story and just like how I feel like low-key poets are very rebellious like that like I can see like you know the poetry teacher taking on like someone that you know needs needs uh you know that that break or needs you know help I feel like poets are really good at like reaching out and helping people or even like going against the grain, like um, against the narrative or whatever. And, you know, just going out of their way and like helping folks, which is really great. Cause like 
that's exactly what you do. You know, like this teacher helped you. And then now you're like out here helping like all these youth, indigenous youth and um, with your writing and your poetry and your songs. So that's a really great story. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I don't think you always realize like, you know, being a teenager and growing and all the hormones and being young, like I didn't realize how much of an impact he had on me until later. And thankfully, I got to see him at um, a graduation a few years ago. He was he was there and I went up and talked to him. I said, Mr. B, do you remember me? You changed my life. And um, he came to one of my readings a few months later at the Southern U Cultural Museum. And it was just nice to be able to tell somebody like you impacted me. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, so when did you know you wanted to have a career as a writer? Was it scary when you kind of like took that leap? Hmm. Well, I feel like it's still scary and I'll get into that. But um, <clears throat> I think, you know, even in college, I think I was not like, I'm going to be a writer because you know, I had told my family my whole life I was going to be this lawyer. So I was mm. trying to double major in like poli sci and psych. Mm -hmm. And um, but, you know, I was still grieving my grandfather and, you know, you have to take full course load to get your scholarship. And one of our advisors, like peer advisors in the dorm, sent out a list of quote unquote fun classes to take to help fill your schedule. And poetry was on there. So it's like, I'm, I'm going to take it. And you know, ever since then, I was always in a poetry class or an English class. And my high school didn't really teach us too much. You know, we just did like crossword puzzles for a lot of my reading classes. And so I just found like I loved books. I loved reading. And, you know, it took me like over a year to realize, OK, maybe I should be an English major and then I can still go to law school. Um, but it wasn't until again, you know, with loss, you know, I lost a really good friend of mine to suicide my junior year. And that's when I just really like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Like, what, what can I do to serve? What can I do that also serves me and my happiness? And that's when I decided I'm going to go to grad school and get my MFA and Stanford. Um, I loved it, but it was also, you know, very Eurocentric in the English department. So I knew I wanted to be closer to home for grad school. Uh, Joy Harjo was teaching at UNM at the time and I wanted to work with her. And oh, um, wow. yeah, so, and she really mentored me, you know, she um, let me co-edit with her and that was my first publishing experience. And again, just how humble she was in paying it forward, like mm -hmm. making sure my name was on the cover with her and my photo and her telling me when she was younger and helped someone in the same way, they like, didn't want to give her that credit. And so hmm. like, again, like her, like paying it forward. And, you know, I was quote unquote, nobody in the literary world. I hadn't published anything. And I feel like all these little steps, you know, like with writing and even now I still have imposter syndrome, like maybe I'm not supposed to be a writer. And then you see different submissions or people want to collaborate or like you, you know, like mm -hmm. let's interview you. It's like, okay, I think I am, I think I am a writer. <laughs> so it is so scary, but it's, it's fun. And when you find supportive people and I think, oh yeah, you know, what you're doing now, I think things like that is such a, such a shining light, such a beacon for people to see like, yes, we can write, we can do art and there's a community to support me. You're mm -hmm. scared. Yeah, definitely. I mean, speaking of like 
other indigenous women, you know, supporting each other. Like it, I just feel kind of similar to like your story about joy, like reaching out to you and just like, you know, doing all these great mentor like mentorship with you. And like, that's kind of what I'm, I'm doing right now. It's like similar um, with like working on my manuscript. I'm working with a um, indigenous poet and she's like really great and has awards and, and she's like, yeah, you know, I'll help you, you know, I'll, um, I can talk to like editors, like, and, you know, and like, if, you know, in other circumstances, like you would have to pay someone, you know, to, to look over your manuscript or like, or you would have to pay someone, um, or even have to pay like money to like network in these ways. And I just feel really blessed that like this person like took me on and is like, yeah, I'll do these. Like, you need help. I'll help you. Um, (laughs) so like, that's something that I'm just like, so inspired by and especially like native women helping each other. And like, that's something that like, I really hope that I I'll be able to do like with like, um, maybe like when I'm older, like, you know, help other like native writers that are young that don't really know, um, or maybe they do know, maybe they're a super great poet and they just need, you know, um, that connection or that resource, but maybe they don't have the money for it. So I always think it's really great when I hear about like indigenous women, like mentoring and not like, not just thinking that it's like for the money or whatever. It's like definitely very like, um, it's very community. It's like very loving. And, um, yeah, it's, I just love hearing stories like that. And especially when I first started the press, Abalone Mountain Press, I, I felt kind of funny. Like, I didn't know if I was like, if people were thinking like, oh, she thinks she's too cool, like making this press or whatever. But like you reached out to me and sent a comment saying like, you're like, this is great. Like, I'm here for you. Like, I want to like, I just like, I just want to reach out and tell you, thank you. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that was so like kind. And like, you know, it. you work so hard and hard, like you work hard and sometimes like you just don't know if you're going in the right direction and then like someone messages me like you did and I was like okay I think I'm doing okay (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's scary to be vulnerable and put yourself out there like that because I think a lot of the you know indigenous women who came I think we did get a lot of those things like who does she think she is you know and Mm -hmm. it's beautiful to see it like changing you know with our Mm -hmm. generation and everybody who'll come after. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So in 2015, um, you published your first book of poetry, Words Like Love. And in 2017, you self-published a book titled Why Storms Are Named After People and Bullets Remain Nameless. What would you say is the biggest difference what would you say the biggest difference has been since releasing words like love and storms? Mm, I think the biggest difference is probably just gaining confidence or like how you were speaking about earlier, like feeling like you're on the right path. Cause you know, once it's out there, it's out there. You don't have control over who gets it and who reads it. And it's mm-hmm. a really good feeling like when people 
um, message you and say, and not even like reposting, like it's nice to get like those shares, but when people even just privately message or email, like I read this, it like changed my life. Like this helped me. Um, and that's like, I think is the best part is, is getting the content out there and hoping that it reaches the people that it needs. Um, and then you do have the side, you know, because we do live in America and it's capitalistic and all of these things. And, you know, it does give you like, I guess, more clout or people say, take you more seriously once you've published a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate that it has to happen that way. And again, like another amazing reason why like your press is so important because you can help give that platform to people who, you know, these other presses might not like want to read our, our work or might only want to read work that's written for like the white gaze and not like for our people or for the people you might want it to be for. Um, and I think the surprising thing has just been the support, you know, like mm-hmm. um, that first book got published. Um, and I always just like tell people too, like, it's good to just, you know, stay true to yourself and be a good relative because it leads to all these different connections. You know, I was helping at that time with a Albuquerque cultural conference. And one of the people who was there was this guy named John Crawford. And he ran this small press called West End Press. And they published some of Joy's first work, some of Sherry Moraga's first work, Laura Tohi. And hmm. that's when he said, I, I like your work. Like, I like you, like, send me your stuff and let's see about publishing your book. So um, I was like, wow, like, um, and it's hard, you know, not to feel bad about those things sometimes, because I've had a lot of my MFA cohort who are still trying to get their first books published, you know, and um, so it's hard not to feel guilty about those things, but then trying to like rectify that by like, okay, like I'm going to pay it forward. Like I'm not going to waste it. And, you know, after that, it was fun, like doing readings and um, getting my, trying to get my book out in the world. And by then I'd been traveling so much with my artist collective doing spoken word and music. That's when I said, I'm just going to self-publish my next book because more of the funds will go to me than um, with, with having a publisher and, and uh, yeah. And then now words like love just got republished by university of New Mexico press. And I signed a contract with them for my next book. Um, if they would republish, then they get my next book. So that's exciting too. Ooh. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. And then even, cause I remember I bought words like love right when it came out and I was like, Oh, I love this book. And then I ended up gifting it to like a close friend And since then I was like, okay, I need to rebuy it or I need to, you know, purchase it again. And so when it came out, when it was um, published and, you know, with the beautiful cover by, um, is it Aura? Uh, That one is a Chief Ladybird. Oh, Chief Ladybird. Yes. Um, Yes. It's a beautiful cover by Chief Ladybird. And yeah, I'm just so happy that I was able to repurchase it. And it was, I was able to repurchase it with like the new cover, which is so beautiful. Um, yeah. And I just remember like you talking about self-publishing your second book at the Emerging Diné Writers Institute. And like that, like really kind of like lit, like, um, like, like a little light bulb over my head when you said you self-published and that you, that you, um, you've made more money self-publishing off of this book compared to like, you know, your other works. And I was just like, wow, that's so great that, 
you know, um, that I think this would be, I think it's very inspirational for like other people that feel like maybe their work is, you know, not, it's not Eurocentric. It's not, it doesn't accommodate the white gaze and like, you know, they can always self-publish their own work and like, they can just be like, you know, as successful. Cause like, and it's just, I think it's, it's, I read it and I absolutely love it. And, um, I just highlighted so many things in that book. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that makes me feel good. Yeah. And there's like one other self-published author I really want to interview, but I still have to read her book. Um, she's a First Nations writer. She wrote, um, I believe it's a memoir called Calling My Spirit Back. Mm-hmm. And that's by Elaine Alec. And she's been doing a really great self-publishing her book. She's been selling so many books. Like she'll update on her Instagram, like how many books she sold that month. And, you know, and just people being like super supportive. And like, even she talked about her own journey, trying to like get her, her memoir published through like, um, like different publishers in Canada. And like, they, you know, it would be the, sorry, it's a great book, but sorry. And so like I just thought it like that was really inspirational too that you know she just went out and did it and like she's like she's doing talks she's doing readings she's doing um interviews so like I I can't wait to read her book too I'm gonna check it out too yeah that sounds great yeah so like even if you know um you know I my my presses here to publish um indigenous writers and I would love to you know publish like all indigenous women <laughs> um but like maybe if if no one wa- if like someone doesn't want to go that route like I would still love to see like a huge like flourish of like native women you know taking on their own piece of work and like self-publishing and it's just really great to see yeah. And you never know the seed you're planting too. you know, like five years down the road, maybe somebody opens an indigenous coffee shop and then they host like readings for your authors or they sell your books at their like bookstore or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, sorry, I'm going to go back to a little bit about why storms are named after people and bullets remain nameless. Um, so there's a similar theme because I was asking about differences just now, but there's a similar theme of your first book and your next book where it's a lot about grief. And would you consider this something that is like, uh, like your poetry would be considered like grief work? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I'm always like thinking, even with my music, I'm like, I should try to write a happy song or a happy poem. Can I do comedy? Mm-hmm. Um But I think just because my personality is always trying to see the silver lining or trying to like be that like grounding force for whether it's my family or for like my students or like the youth and communities I work with, like, I feel like poetry then becomes like my safe space, like where I can Mm -hmm. just feel all the things that I might be holding inside because I want to be strong for other people. So um, I do feel like that. I do feel like my poetry... um, is, is grief work. And, um, 
it does like have that heaviness to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes, you know, you're just like at the end of the day, when you're ready to write, you're just like tired and you just want to be vulnerable, (laughs) you know? Um, but like, I, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say it's crazy when, uh, you write something and you're just like, whoa, I didn't know that was inside of me or that that's, that was there. Right. That's how I feel a lot. Sometimes I'm just like writing and writing and I'm like, wait, where did all this come from? (laughs) Okay. Um, So we're going to move on to question five. A few of your poems can be found in the Native Poets issue from Poetry Foundation. The group of poems featured in this issue are pretty much what made me an official fangirl of you. (laughs) Poems like Love Lessons in the Time of Settler Colonialism, Missing More Than a Word, and Words as Seeds can be found in that issue. I actually would like to know more about Missing More Than a Word and your creative process behind that poem. Yeah. Um, So I've actually been learning a lot about the epidemic of murdered and missing Indigenous women for maybe six years now, um, or I guess even a little bit longer. You know, Um, it was something I hadn't really heard about a lot here in the U.S. yet, but in Canada, they really talk about those things. And my sister um, was in a Ph.D. program. Like she started, I think maybe 10 years ago in uh, London, Ontario. And so I started learning more about it through her and it was, it was right around the, they were her and her, um, some of her indigenous co doing an event to help raise awareness. And, um, so they asked me if I, I would write a poem for it. And I said, sure. So I ended up writing this poem where I sing parts of ain't no sunshine when she's gone mm. and that poem, um, some other friends had heard it here in the States. And I had a, a upward bound friend of mine who is at NDSU is running an event called human trafficking in the plains. Um, and one of the speakers was Lisa Brenner and she does a lot of work around MMIW advocacy and helping survivors. And so I performed the poem there and just hearing her presentation, you know, my friend and I thought, you know, we should do something to help raise awareness here every um, Valentine's Day in Canada, they do the Women's Memorial March. We should we should march in solidarity. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a whole week of programming and I had the idea to start collecting single-sided earrings to represent the amount of women and reported missing at the time. Um, and so I'm not a visual artist, so I ended up working with uh, Nani Chacon mm-hmm. and I had seen her work before and I really just admire so much about her and Um, you know, again, like just sisters supporting each other. I didn't have money to pay her and she agreed to help. And thankfully, you know, we did find funds through the university to help her for her work. And I always love when things like that happen, but um, it was really heavy. You know, I feel like it was just a crash course in so many things, you know, because we wanted to do it right. We had to, you know, we had conversations with people who'd done that work before because, similar to how you're saying with your press, you know, we don't want to just come in and be like, who are these people doing this event? You know, so we tried to talk to a little, a lot of different organizations in Canada and the U S about their work and 
That led to us also incorporating an honoring event in our week-long series where we honored the, the organizers and women who had done this work, you know, before we came to it. Um, and so when I did that exhibit, what I didn't expect was that we'd get all of these letters that came with the earrings. Um, mm. A lot of them would say, you know, this is for me. This is for this person, for my community. I'm a survivor of violence, like just so many different, different things. And, um, you know, it's, it's never left me, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's something I think about when I work with young indigenous girls. And so um, it's something I try to process through my poetry um, by by just helping to raise awareness, you know, sometimes I'll look up facts and data and think, how can I like use my gift to help like increase empathy mm-hmm. or increase awareness? So this poem in particular, um, that's what I did, you know, just looking for different statistics and how could I help put it into a poem and just thinking about just the work we do as Indigenous women, like just the healing work we do, whether it's healing ourselves or healing our families. I often think of it just, you know, we're so tied to earth, like to mother earth. And I think sometimes people plant themselves in us for their own healing, for their own grounding. Um, and that it asks a lot of us, it takes a lot from us. And so that's where I came up with these metaphors for earth and, and digging and all the like work that we do that maybe people don't always see. Hmm. Wow. I really love that. And people like, you know, it's kind of almost like one-sided, you know, like they get the resource from the earth, but what, like, what do they give back to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is so beautiful. And even like the last stanza, Let us dig to remind ourselves our roots are ancestral and there's nothing deeper than these sacred dirt covered hands. Oh, I just love that so much. Yeah, I think, thank you. And, you know, I think it's just like thinking of people who get burnt out in in the work that we do, or like how you said, sometimes it is one-sided, just remembering like this is sacred and this is part of what we do. Um, But I also like want shout out Hyde Erdrich Erdrich for um, this poem as well, because she was the editor for this issue. And Mm. um, again, we talk about the mentoring, you know, I feel like with a place like Poetry Magazine, you send your poems and if they're good, they're good. If quote unquote good, if they're not what their aesthetic is, they send it back. But, you know, Hyde edited um, a lot of my work for this, this issue, you know, because she believed in it, believed in me. And this is one in particular, this one and another one, she like really just helped tighten some of the language. And it's, it's always nice to have somebody trust, like take that care to help um, tighten your poems. Yeah. And this is such a beautiful collection. I'm so glad that I, that I have this, um, this copy and like a physical copy of it, but you know, for readers out there, listeners out there uh, that you can actually find most of these poems on poetryfoundation.org and there's like a you'll see like a picture of the the actual cover which is pink and there's like a little link under it that says read this issue so you can read the whole issue like in digital format which is really great and it looks like some of them are actually some of them have audio accompanying them which is great and 
Yeah, I just this whole collection is just so beautiful. I I love it. And just your work in particular in this book, I was just like blown away and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, like I don't know like how to start <laughs> from my end, like I don't know how to start the conversation about like missing and murdered indigenous women as a poet." Like so reading your stuff, I was like really really inspired and just like, "Wow, this is so great" cuz like I feel like maybe I would hit a wall because, you know, like I have had missing and murdered indigenous women, you know, in my family, but a lot of them were like um, relatives. I never actually got to meet. Like maybe I, you know, my dad's told me about, I think an aunt he had, and I, I never met this aunt, but he just like, told me the story about like how he had an aunt that like moved to Chicago. Um, I think during the relocation program and like she moved there with her husband and I guess like, I think her husband maybe um, was an alcoholic and he ended up, you know, murdering her or killing her in a domestic dispute or through domestic violence. And like, I just never knew any about this, anything about this until my dad, like, just like, like he randomly tells me these tidbits, like when we're in like hard rock visiting his hometown and like, he'll just kind of talk about it. And then that's it. And I'm just like, I've never, like, you've never mentioned any of this or like, I just had this aunt out there. Like I never knew this horrible, like, you know, violent story happened or even like on my mother's side, um, with my grandpa, like he's from Fruitland, New Mexico. And we met some like, uh, like we were just driving around and my mom really wanted to visit someone, a relative, a distant relative. And then the person that ended up answering the door was, was a guy and like, and he just seemed very lonely and he just kept talking to us. And like, I, you know, I was young, probably like 18. So I didn't know what was going on. And you know, he's just talking and talking and then like, and then we left. And, um, then later on, like, uh, another relative that I'm close with, like we were staying at their house. She was telling us like how, you know, his, his wife was found, um, basically, uh, murdered, like found like in a, like a ditch somewhere in the Fruitland area. And like, and I'm just like, wow, this like, I can't believe all this stuff is like, you know, happens and it's just, you only hear it distant, at least for me, I would only hear it distantly. And like, it was just like a story that they would talk about for like a minute. But then after that, it's like, it was, you know, it's just something that something horrible happened, but like, I don't know, maybe for me, it was like confusing because I'm just like how do we heal from this how do we how do we like how do we um keep these people in our memory how do we yeah so like I think maybe that's where I get stuck and but I know like I have there are these like stories within my family but but they're just like talked about very quickly and then you know it's kind of like and then we just move on like we have to keep going on with our lives and surviving so it's, yeah. Uh, so reading your poems, I was just like, wow, she really like, she really like knew <laughs> what she was writing. And these were so like inspiring. And 
Yeah, this is like definitely like some of my favorite poems. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry about all that that happened. And I feel like you will find a way to to write about it or to honor their memory in the way that you need to. I know it's it's always hard to try to write in a, in a way that does no harm. You know, like um, not writing for me, like not writing about like specific people or details unless you have like the family's permission and Mm -hmm. not wanting to just like take advantage of the situation but yet also wanting to write about it so like our girls know you know so our Mm -hmm. our people know yeah and that's another thing that's really hard especially within my family um like you know they'll tell these stories like one time and very quickly (laughs) and I always wonder like if they didn't tell me this at this specific moment I would have never known about any of this you know that had happened with like a relative or you know someone they knew and you know and basically like they're my relatives too you know they're my ancestors and so like I just always am very like surprised when Or I don't know if I'm surprised or if I'm like, I don't know. Or I'm just like, I I definitely feel different after they tell me these things. And Mm -hmm. I definitely think about them a lot. And I I just wonder if like my family does that, that the, the ones that tell me these stories, like, do they think, do they think a lot about these stories and, or are they just like hidden and then they'll come up? again for like a couple minutes but I don't know yeah yeah it's always uh, I think about that stuff too like just the timing of things and and fate like what you're saying like if I wasn't here right now I wouldn't have heard this or I wouldn't have got this story and I think so that's one of the things I miss the most of traveling able to visit and do work in different communities is I feel like I always had different aha moments like that that was like okay I'm where I'm supposed to be and mm-hmm. um, being in the pandemic that's I'm grateful for like the virtual work and connections but it's so it's so different I feel like not being able to read the room or help draw draw out a shy person um, mm-hmm. it's just changed so much oh wow okay so I'm going to add an extra question on <clears throat> how do you draw out a shy person? <laughs> I feel like that's something I always have trouble with. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, a. Um, I don't even know if I can quite articulate it. I think just, um, I feel like it was really hard when I first started like my full-time work, working with youth and like, 2007 like it was just like I kind of just I feel like I also just call out the awkwardness like sometimes I'm like yeah I know it's kind of weird I know you don't know me but you know this is pretty cool like I feel like poetry has helped me like maybe if you just want to try it it's not for everybody but no judgment like I feel like I just speak I just try to always just speak honestly about like what's happening um and I feel like just a lot of positive affirmations too, like not, mm. not like being disingenuine about it, but actually just being that mirror, like being the best mirror you could be to like the, the students and people you're working with. Like, I love that line. I love that you said that, like, i never would have thought of it like that. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. those things really help build a person up. And I feel like that's 
my, my technique for, for just like showing somebody like, I see you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That is really helpful and beautiful. (laughs) You started an online literary magazine and it showcases the creative literary expressions and scholarly work of both emerging and established women writers from around the world called As Us with fellow indigenous writer, Cassandra Lopez. Could you tell us a little bit about how it, it started? Yeah. So um, when I started my Upward Bound work, I would hire, I hired Cassie to um, be one of our like uh, teachers for the summer. And we'd gone to grad school together. And I think it was right after we graduated, but we were just, you know, talking about just the things we survived, you know, like her traumas, her truths, mine, like our peers, like the, the women writers we knew and just thinking like, okay, well, places like that are deemed writerly, like the New Yorker, Esquire, all the magazines, like Mm -hmm. they're not representative of us. They're not publishing like work that reflects our world. And so we were like, well, let's just create our own. It was kind of like one of those field of dreams. If you build it, they will come, (laughs) you know, like I had, um, we're just like, all right, well, let's just find a WordPress blog and like teach ourselves how to do a WordPress website. And then, Mm Um, like creating our own little flyers and trying to just get the work out there. And thankfully it just like kind of spreading by word of mouth and um, really grateful, you know, people like Laylee Long Soldier, like, um, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll send you something for your first issue again, like just sisters supporting each other, you know, like, sure, I'll yeah. send you work. Um, and then, you know, when we're like, well, let's do it in print. And we're like, well, we don't know how to do InDesign. So I think we just made our Facebook statuses and our Google Hangout status. Like, does anyone know how to do this? And um, this uh, ally, like a white male, we went to, um, he was an undergrad when we were in grad school and he worked on UNM's um, literary magazine with us. And he said, well, I'll do it. Like, I need more professional Mm. experience. I just graduated. So he just donated his time to help do that for a few issues. Um, And he actually did the layout for me too, for the Storms and Bullets um, book. And I was able to compensate him for that. But um, yeah, and then I remember it was like really fun. We did readings and it was cool because it just created a community. You know, Mm -hmm. like when I would do a reading for something else, I remember in Philadelphia, like two women we'd published lived in Philly and they came to support. And it was just like, wow, like we're creating like a little family. And I remember we got... um, Sherry Moraga at Stanford to bring us out for a reading. Um, and uh, one of my former freshman deans, she's now like, um, she's not, but her name's Julie Lithcott Hames, and she's an amazing Black woman uh, writer. And so she came to read too. And I remember when we were at the reading, Sherry Moraga was saying, you know, if it doesn't last forever, that's fine, but you're doing it now. You're doing the important and good work now. And I remember thinking, well, it is going to last forever, but you know, then life happens, you know, like Mm -hmm. I got busy, Cassie took it over. She got, she got busy and, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I don't regret it at all. I'm grateful that we did it and that it exists in that little space of time. And who knows, maybe it will start up again one day. Yeah. And how many uh, issues did as us have? 
I believe we had six issues. Oh, wow. But we still pay for the website domains. Oh, seven issues. So people have their work up there. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've I've seen your website and like there's times where I'm like, I want to submit, but I'm like, where's the submission? <laughs> well, maybe we'll bring it back up. I think, yeah. And t- I think we had a couple guest e- editors for some issues too when we were getting busy. So um, maybe it will it will revive one day. Yeah, that's great. And Cassie is really great. Uh, For listeners out there, Cassie, I think it was last year, she came out with um, Brother Bullet. And I believe that's from University of Arizona Press. Uh, I think it's from, is it part of the Centrax series? I think so. Yeah, it's a really great book. Uh, It's, yeah, so beautiful. And there's a lot of like grief work in that book as well. Okay. And what projects are you currently working on now or that you can tell us about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on my third collection and that's the one for University of New Mexico Press. So it's due to them later this year. So I've been working on that. Um, and it's about my grandma and her life and just my processing her loss as well. So it will definitely have some of that grief work again in there. Um, I'm working on my first full length album, which I'm really excited about. I have a, yeah, I have a really um, talented producer and audio engineer uh, that I met in Colorado. His name's Kyle Shepard. And he's just so talented. You know, he's Mm -hmm. so humble too. Like every time I go to the studio, he always shows, I'm like, I didn't know you could sing. I didn't know you could do that. And come to find out he went to the I think the Berkeley College of Music so he's mm. um he just like loves to create so I'm excited about that but again like I'm trying to be more with stuff like that with my like self projects I'm trying to be more forgiving about time you know like I don't mm-hmm. have to like write a new song every week we don't have to record like when it'll come out so um mm-hmm. that and then um, I'm actually working with one of my Dream Warriors uh, sisters on um, a project, hoping to start a nonprofit here soon that can serve Indigenous artists and hopefully have residencies and mm-hmm. different um, programming for for youth to elders. So um, that's that's everything that's kind of brewing right now. Nice. And this is in the Albuquerque area. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's really great. Wow. And you're doing all of this with a full-time job? Yeah. So it's tough. <laughs> it's like a lot of late nights. I was just thinking yeah. about this the other day. I feel like my other job, like I could carve out more time, like flexibility and things like that. And this mm-hmm. one is so fast paced, so quick producing that, you know, by the time I'm done with work and then I decompress a little bit, it's like, oh, it's nine or it's 10. Like, should I work? Like, I and, mm. and so... Some days I do, and some days I'm just like, I'm just going to rest in Netflix, or I'm just going to go yeah. for a walk, like, and just trying to be more patient and understanding with myself about that. I feel like, I feel like when I was younger, it was so much like, I have to prove myself, I have to prove my worth, and now I'm like, just trying to remember that all of these things bring me joy, and I don't want to like, put pressure on myself to make it also feel like work, mm. and like, just take my time with it and be patient so I don't lose that joy because I know for a few years there I feel like I I lost a little bit of that joy just 
producing or deadlines, or I have to do this and um, just trying to be patient with myself. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's so real. I lost my joy with writing for, yeah, like about a year. And, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to get into a good place. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. All right. And very last question is, where can we find your books, music, and future projects? Sure. Yeah. Um, just following me on social media. Uh, my Twitter and Instagram is at Tanea Winder. And then my website, TaneaWinder.com um, would have all those updates as well. Cool. Yeah. And then we definitely, um, so with each podcast, we do a writing prompt. And usually I ask the guest if they could um, send in like a writing prompt to me and then I can read it after our interview. And whoever like submits writing, like their, um, the response to your writing prompt, um, they can win um, a few items. And usually it's like some really good, like great goodies from like indigenous artists. And I definitely um, try to uh, incorporate the the poet or the writer's book so I definitely want to buy like maybe two of your books um I'm thinking maybe your maybe your your two books words like love and storms okay and then we can give that to the 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 the, the winner <laughs> awesome yeah. yeah I can send you a prompt okay great thank you so much for you know, spending this afternoon with us um, and doing our inter- doing this interview and giving us some really great words of advice and yeah, I think I think that's it. <laughs> awesome! Thank you so much. I'm so excited to see where all of your projects go to and for your book world. Oh, thanks! It'll be it'll be a minute <laughs> for that. But otherwise, yeah, I'm so excited. <clears throat> I love interviewing. I love interviewing and being around writers, but like there's something very special about like interviewing native writers that I'm just like, I feel like I learned so much about them and like even their writing process or, yeah. A big thank you to Tanea Winder for letting me interview her. I was definitely fangirling and felt like awkward, but (laughs) that's okay. Um, Yeah. So that's the end of this podcast interview. And Tanea did send me her writing podcast, um, her, her writing prompt. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Let's see. So her writing prompt is who is an elder slash guardian slash older relative slash role model slash person you wish to honor and say thank you to? Write them a thank you slash honoring poem. Email us your response at books at abalonemountainpress.com. And if you would like the email address um, in writing, you can go to our website, which is www.abalonemountainpress.com. Or we are also on all social media links, which are Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
And the writing prompt giveaway items that we'll be featuring this month or giving away this month are going to be the two books by Tanea Winder, which are Words Like Love and Why Storms Are Named After People and Bullets Remain Nameless. We have um, a beautiful eyeshadow palette, which has about 20 to 30 um, colors, very vibrant, very beautiful colors that you can make so many different looks with um, by Prados Beauty. And it's the Prados Stephen Paul Judd eyeshadow collection. So that's really exciting. And um, we also have a beautiful pair of sunset earrings with abalone shells by She Jack Olf Nijoniet. And that is our writing prompt giveaway and the giveaway items. And we'll see you next time. See you next month. Theme song is Summer Cactus by Colorful King. Keep writing. Keep healing. Bye.